Chapter 16 Was Jesus a Pre-Existing God? Considering the subject of one God that is to be worshipped, in the last chapter, Christianity, virtually all sects, teach the Creator's Father's Son was also God from the beginning, and of course, to be worshipped. Again, the scriptures we just read cause great trouble for that belief. Actually, how many people even know where the teaching that the Messiah was a pre-existing God originated? One thing's for sure, it wasn't the Bible. We certainly don't find that teaching in the Torah or the Old Testament. That said, just where did it originate? We find the answer to that question in reading the writings of a 2nd century heretical teacher referenced earlier named Marcion. He was son of an Orthodox priest, but was excommunicated by his father for being rebellious against the Orthodoxy. Marcion then founded his own Christian cult with his foundational teachings being the heretical teachings of this Greek god named Isis, who was a pre-existing god who never really died or was resurrected. Plus, Marcion refused to accept the god of the Old Testament or the Twelve Apostles, except for Paul. Second and third century Orthodox leaders and teachers such as Arrhenius fought Marcion's heretical teachings, but eventually caught on because a major became a major Christian cult by the fourth century. There, his teaching of a Greek Messiah, Isis, as God, made was made official by the Orthodox Church in the Council of Nicaea in 325. With that in mind, an oft-used argument in support of the pagan theory of a plural Godhead, uh, to be worshipped, that is, instead of the one God, is found in a misinterpretation of John 1. Here we find the statement, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with in the beginning with God. Most will stand up here and say, See, that scripture proves there were at least two gods in the beginning. But we have to remember that according to Dr. Bart Ehrman, who is one of the leading authorities in the world on the New Testament, he says that all the Gospels were passed orally for about 30 years before they were finally written down. Now, if you've ever played that game, Telephone, we know how things get tweaked and twisted by the oral transmitting of whatever it is. But let's consider for a moment, is Christianity's interpretation of that scripture correct? In fact, is the translation even correct? Now, so rather than just accepting the Christian translator's word and polytheistic interpretation, shouldn't we step back a little and be objective? After all, Christianity's conclusion contradicts virtually the entire Old Testament. It's easy to understand when we aren't willing to see what is actually being said. And then we force preconceived meanings into the text. Let's examine John 1 1 more closely and see what is actually said and what isn't. There in John we find something translated the word. The first preconceived conclusion imputed by Christianity is this word was a person. But why in the world would we so quickly assume that something called word would be a person or object instead of simply being sound? Where did they get such a nonsensical concept to begin with? Considering John 1.1 is the only place of the dozen times that logos, which is the Greek word for word, is used in the New Testament, where it's supposedly referring to a person. Is that not a major red flag for misinterpretation? Let's examine the concept of word a little more then. With those thoughts in mind, just what is a word or words? Aren't words 
just breath or air coming out of someone's mouth causing the air to vibrate and producing sound. Strange as it may seem, word or words are something called language. What a concept. Mastering language is the one thing, one of the things that makes mankind vastly more advanced and powerful than the animal kingdom. In fact, the more we've overcome the language barrier, the faster technology has increased. Let's not forget that the reason the languages were confused at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 is because there is great power in words and language. A good example would be a powerful man like a king dictating commands to his subject. Well, what happens? Do they not obey and do what they're commanded? But then who takes credit for what was done? Isn't it the one who spoke the word or the command? Now let's think about the Creator and His word or words. Since Yahweh, that is the Father, is spirit and lives in a spirit realm, what is the breath with which He speaks commands? Well, it couldn't be physical air as we know it, but something else. John 3.8 gives us a clue. John likens this essence, which is called the spirit, to the wind. Isn't wind or air from which we form words? So of what are the Creator's words formed? Would it not be spirit breath or Yahweh's spirit? In Luke 1.35, the angel Gabriel came to Mary, that is the mother of Yeshua, and informed her that Yahweh's spirit would come upon and impregnate her. Let's read it. And the angel answered and said to her, The holy or Yahweh's spirit will come upon you, and the power, not a person, but the power of the highest, will overshadow you. Therefore also that righteous one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Right there in Luke, we have an explanation of what that impregnating spirit or spirit wind or breath was. It was the power of the highest. How interesting to note that Yahweh's spirit was the power that impregnated Mary, but we nowhere find that spirit being called Father. Why? Is it because Yahweh's spirit power is only a part of him? Just as a sperm that creates a child is only a part of a man? Looking at the word from this perspective, we can clearly see how this word is the Father or Creator's spirit, breath, or power. His breath or power is a part of him, but yet it goes out from him in the form of words. Considering Yahweh spoke the world into existence, it shows the literal power of those words. Yahweh's powerful breath or word is also the same power that conceived his son. So it could be said in John 1.14 that the word or Yahweh's breath became flesh i.e. fertilized Mary's egg, and it dwelt among us. So is it any mystery John, in his best words, attempting to describe Yahweh's spirit and power, said, And the Word was with God, that is Yahweh, and the Word was God? That's just like breath. Breath is with us and part of us. But it's not actually literally us. At the implication... Christianity's favorite God among gods was not a God from the beginning will in no small way be a major shock. But the truth is, a whole new religion was formed after the first century upon that misunderstanding of John 1. Again, the truth can only be found by incorporating all the scriptures of the Old Testament along with the New. Remember, Arthur Schopenhauer said back in 1780, that all truth passes through three stages. First, it's ridiculed, second, it's opposed, and third, it is accepted as self-evident. 
Getting back to Yahweh's word or his spirit breath, there are many scriptures showing his breath or words speaking through someone. One such event was the so-called speaking in tongues or languages in Acts 2. Let's pause for a moment and contemplate what transpired in that particular event. It was the Feast of First Fruits or Pentecost, the day after the Messiah's ascension, and Yahweh's Spirit had just descended upon the 120 disciples that were gathered. Suddenly they all began to speak and be heard in each person's own language at the same time. This was without a doubt an amazing miracle, but just what exactly occurred? Well, obviously Yahweh's spirit or words had just descended upon them and had begun speaking through them. We must keep in mind when Yahweh's spirit or the word speaks through someone, it is not the person speaking, but Yahweh's spirit simply using them as a mouthpiece, like a radio. Considering Yeshua's conception via Yahweh's spirit and his being filled with his father's spirit, we must consider who was actually speaking when he spoke. Many of Yeshua's recorded words were Yahweh's Spirit speaking, simply using his firstborn son, Yeshua, as his mouthpiece. Again, let's not forget that Yeshua himself said, I of myself can do nothing. That's John 5, 19 and 30. But we must also keep in mind, sometimes it actually was the physical man speaking. After all, he was an individual also. The same thing happened with the apostles. Sometimes Yahweh's Spirit would speak through them, and sometimes they spoke of their own will. I can personally attest to what happened to the apostles being true, considering the many times I was conducting a Bible study and would find the words coming out of my mouth were things I didn't know and had never even heard. Unknown truths coming out of my mouth always took me by surprise, but in later searching the scriptures, those words were always correct. It was always the traditional private interpretation I'd been previously taught that was wrong. Now it's clear how so much of what Yeshua said is so misinterpreted. Finally, understanding who and what the word is makes the scriptures like Isaiah 45:21 truly come alive. There it says, Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who, was, who has told it from that time? Have not I, Yahweh? And there is no God else besides me, that is to be worshipped, of course, a just God and a Savior, and there is none besides me. Wow. So much for the word being a pre-existing God and Savior. The words we speak are part of us in that they come out of our lungs but are not actually us. Such scriptures clearly show Yahweh's son Yeshua was Yahweh's instrument to help him save mankind, but not the one to steal the glory to himself. Yeshua was born to be Yahweh's high priest to mediate between his father and his people, to bring them to him. We see it all put together even better in 1 Timothy 2.5, where it says, For there is one God, again, that is to be worshipped, and one mediator between God and Yahweh that, and men, the man, not God, the anointed one, Yeshua. Again, Yahweh, the Hebrew Messiah, is our mediator and high priest, not our God to whom we direct our worship. He is also our elder brother, and we will be like him, it says in 1 John 3, 2. That said, if he was the Savior, apart from Yahweh, as the churches have made him out to be, then we, in order to be like him, would have to be pre-existing gods as well, would we not? On top of that, why would John 1 and 18 
And also uh, John 4.12 say that no one has seen God if Yeshua was or is God in that sense. If Yeshua was the supreme God as so many teach, then these three scriptures are nothing but lies. Truth is, Yeshua was the image or picture of his father like any good son, but obviously not actually him. The depth of the adversary's deception in the churches is nothing short of breathtaking, but the bottom line is Yahweh is the one and the only Father, Creator God, that is to be worshipped. And when we do, His Son shares in that glory. Again, this chapter brings to mind what our Creator Father stated through the prophet Ezekiel. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, because you have spoken nonsense and envisioned lies, therefore I am indeed against you, says Yahweh. 